All right. You can stop. Let's go. Get your Bibles. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, you're going to go to Luke chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd be happy to put one in your hand. You do need a Bible. That's what we do, Bible study. If you didn't bring one, look in the seat back in front of you, and there is a Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible of your very own, feel free to take this one with you. But if all of you do, that would be problematic, okay? You can go to... Um, you can go to a new and improved Walmart where they sell stuff like that and get an ESV and begin to bring it with you, okay? So get your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 4. Uh, also, I'd like to welcome our students right here in our student section. What's up, students? Isn't that cool? So this is our student section each and every week. So if you are sitting in and amongst our students and didn't realize it and you think, this is a young church, well, then you're just sitting with our students. So that's reserved for our students. Um, and then also, uh, you, you'll notice, well, if this is your first time with us, we don't pass a plate here. We're very serious about honoring God with our, with our tithes and offerings and our giving, but, but we, will, we don't want you to give under compulsion. And so you'll see these little boxes all around, the, all around the worship center here, and that's where we give our tithes and offerings. And so at the end of the service, we're going to sing a song at the end of the service, and we're going to call you to respond in lots of different ways, however God calls you to respond. And so one of the ways that you could respond is by going to one of those boxes on the side or on the way out, and you could drop your tithes and offerings there. So here we go. I don't really know how to start, but can you believe it? Here we are, right? Right here coming from, this used to be ladies' accessories in Walmart, right where I'm standing, okay? And now uh, we're just going to proclaim the gospel just like we do each and every week. I do want to say, if you're sitting way over here, I kind of apologize for the view. Uh, I know that's not a great view that you get, so I would encourage you to look at the screen and not that part of me. All right, here we go. Hopefully you found Luke 4. Um, Next week, I've got to let you know, next week we will have two Sunday morning services and a Thursday night service. So Thursday night, 722, and then Thursday, I mean, excuse me, Sunday morning at 9 a.m., okay? So for people like me that get up early, next Sunday you can come to the 9 a.m. service and then 1122 because we are, uh, we're beyond capacity. The parking lot's full. From what I understand, there's a um, cars wrapping around the building right now, and so we're going to ask all those folks to come back to 622 tonight. But next week, our, our regular schedule will be Thursday nights at 722. We need to see a lot of you there. Uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., we need to see a lot of you there, and then our regular service at 1122. All right, enough of that. Let's preach. So, in um, about 30 A.D., Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, gathers his disciples together in this place called Caesarea Philippi. It would have been like Sin City, not Vegas, but Caesarea Philippi. And he takes the disciples there, and he's standing on this rock overlooking this pagan temple. And he looks at Peter, one of the disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say that you're a prophet or a rabbi or a good teacher. And he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, upon this rock, upon the public profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... I will build my church, or I will build my ecclesia, this movement of God's people proclaiming Jesus publicly, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then in just a couple of years, Jesus Christ goes, he's crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and in, in Matthew 28, he gathers about 120 disciples before he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. And he tells those disciples, go therefore and make disciples in all nations. And then, 
it begins. In 42 AD, Mark goes to Egypt. In 49, Paul goes to Turkey. In 51 AD, Paul goes to Greece. In 52 AD, Thomas goes to India. In 54 AD, Paul goes on his third and final missionary trip. In 174 AD, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 280 AD, the first rural churches emerge in northern Italy. Christianity is no longer exclusively in urban areas. By 350 AD, 31.7 million people, that's 57% of Rome, claims Christ as their Lord. In 432 AD, Patrick heads to Ireland, and we celebrate this every year by drinking too much green beer. In 596, uh, Gregory the Great sends, I apologize, Mert, my grandma's right here on the second row. That ain't how they do church, but it's okay. All right, in, in 596 AD, uh, Gregory the Great sends Augustine to England to reintroduce the gospel to a place called Canterbury. And they baptized 10,000 people in the first two years. In 635 AD, the first Christian missionaries go to China. In 740 AD, Irish monks land in Iceland. In 900 AD, missionaries reach Norway. In 1200 uh, the Bible is translated into 22 different languages. In 1490, the first Christians are reported in Kenya. In 1501, Pope Alexander VI grants to Spain all newly discovered lands in the Americas under the provision that religious education be provided for the natives. In 1537, Pope Paul III orders that the Indians of the New World be brought to Christ by the preaching of the divine word and an example of the good life. In 1554, 1,500 new Christians are reported in Thailand. In 1671, missionaries arrive in the Carolinas, probably Dillon, South Carolina. In 1735, Charles and John Wesley come to America on a missionary journey. In 1784, Wesley ordains ministers and sends them to America. In 1828, the Methodist Protestant Church is formed, which makes up what we know today as the Methodist denomination. In 1937, Rising Tide Methodist Church gathers above a bakery in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. In 1939, Rising Tide builds a chapel at Beach and Summit and becomes Beach United Methodist Church. In 1962, the first Walmart opened in Rogers, Arkansas. In 1986, the Walmart at Beach in San Pablo opens. In September of 2008, at 11.22 a.m., 11.22 service begins. In October 2009, because of space concerns, 7.22 begins. In the fall of 2011, again because of space concerns, 6.22 service begins. And Gretchen Martin cries because her Sunday afternoons are gone. In March... 2011, Beach UMC announces the launch of a new church with an overeducated redneck from Dillon, South Carolina as the pastor. In June 2011, a team finds a vacant Walmart and gets the work. And by team, I mean Al's Pizza and Angie Subs and Artist and Baby Big Gift Donors and Bittersweet Bakery and Bonos and Boosterthon and the Campus Move crew and the Capital Campaign Givers and the Carpentry crew and the Chair Setup crew and Chick-fil-A, God love Chick-fil-A, and Chip Towsy Law Firm and Cleaning Crews and Compass Bake and Compassionate International and Construction Teams and Right Angle Builders and Dick's Wings and our Elders and our Serve Staff and Everbank and Feral Marine Construction and Food Donors and Financial Contributors and Furniture 
furniture and appliance donors and hauling and moving crews, Mellow Mushroom, the nail pulling crew, the McKenzie Wilson Foundation, Natural Elements by Tina, Night Moves, North Point Promotions, Painting and Staining Crews, Paulette Disassembly Crew, uh, Pizzazz Scenic, Quality Images and Printing, uh, Skeeter Built Customs, Richard Ellis Real Estate Company, Saturday Workday Crews, the Tech Crews, Toll Brothers, Tony Slayman Enterprises, praise God for Tony Slayman, Video Crew, Waste Watchers, Chet's Creek Church, and Wave all got together. And then on September the 23rd, 2012, the movement continues with the launch of the church of 1122. Amen. Amen. Now, what I want you to know is that what we are doing is not new. It is not new. You can trace it all the way back 2,000 years ago to this, this small group of guys outside of Caesarea Philippi. So what we're doing is not new. It's just our turn. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and what the Bible means there are those faithful men and women who have gone on before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a faithful cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us by fixing our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. So now that we're here, which, Daddy, this ain't bad for a Walmart, is it? I mean, come on, right? When I called my dad and said, Daddy, we leased a Walmart. He said, Son, I always thought you'd work at Walmart. And so here we are. <coughs> here we are. So then the question begs, well, what do we do now? Now that the place is cleaned up and, and we got the ladies' accessories out of here and got the chairs in, what do we do now? Well, it's my understanding that the church is just the body of Christ, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus here on this earth. So it seems to me that we should be about what Jesus was about and what Jesus is about. And that's what we find here in Luke chapter 4. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. And if, you've, if you're a part of any kind of corporation or organization, you have a mission statement, a vision statement, and all those things are very important. And in Luke chapter 4, what we're going to find is we're going to find the mission statement of Jesus. He is going to tell us what on earth he came here to do and then, therefore, as his followers or as his disciples and a church, we should be about what Jesus was and is about. So, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Listen up, church. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to show up in the power of the Spirit. When God sent his Son, see, God only had one Son, and he made him a Spirit-filled preacher and that's what Jesus did Jesus is going to show up here and he's just going to preach and teach the Bible and so when you come here to church then what I hope that you experience is the presence of the Holy Spirit and worship and word and then all we're going to do each and every week is we're just going to open up the Bible and we're going to read it and we're going to talk about it and when I mean we I really mean just me I'm going to talk and you're going to listen and then later on in the week you're going to get together in groups and you're going to talk about how the Lord has changed you by the power of the gospel and so when Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee that's where he grew up and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all 
You see, he started to do miracles and he started to make these claims. And so the folks, the Jewish folks, they've been waiting their entire lives for this. And the whispers begin to happen around town. Could this be the one? I mean, is he the one that we've been waiting on? Is he the one that Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the minor prophets, is this the one that, that has been prophesied about? Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, let me not run by that too quick. As was his custom. If Jesus were walking on this earth today, he would go to church, and that would be a part of his custom. He wouldn't just come on opening day and then see it again at Christmas, but it was customary for him to join with other believers to study the Word of God and to worship God together. And I know sometimes people will say things like, well, the beach is my church. No, it's not. The beach is the beach, and the church is the church. Now, I love both, and you should do both, and you may experience God in both, and I hope and pray you do. But the custom of Jesus was to gather together with other God followers and worship Him in worship and in word. And so, he came to Nazareth where he was brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And what he did is he's going to go to Isaiah chapter 61. And then he is going to read this messianic prophecy. And so he unrolls the scroll with everybody, all eyes on him. And he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Again, this was a very, very popular text. This was a messianic text. And so he reads this text. And in the synagogues, uh, the way it worked is the teacher would sit down and teach. And so he sits down and everybody's watching him in verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, this, this thing that Isaiah was talking about, this person and this ministry is right in front of you today. And this was like the mission statement of Jesus. And as a church, this should be what the church is about. And so I want to walk through that kind of phrase by phrase so that if you are going to be a part of the church of 1122, then you will kind of know what you're getting into. And I know we have a lot of guests and a lot of visitors, and we, we thank you for being here. And so if you're not going to be a part of the church of 1122, and you um, are in prayer for us as a church, then these are the kind of things that you can be praying for because we just want to be about what Jesus has been and is about. And so he says this in verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that Jesus was Spirit-filled. If you'll remember in the story of his baptism, his first cousin John baptizes him. And after he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, the Bible says that the heavens open up and the voice of God is heard as, an, I mean, as a dove descends upon him like the Spirit and God in heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That Jesus was a spirit-filled preacher. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Underline that word anointed in your Bibles. Okay, Even that new one you just pulled out of the deal there. Go ahead and underline that. Anointed me. 
That word anointed in Greek is Christos, where we get the word Christ. In, in Hebrew, it's Meshua or Messiah. In other words, what Jesus is saying here when he says, because he has anointed me, is he is saying that I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the substitutionary atoning Lamb of God. I am the one that was prophesied about all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world and created a separation between God and man. When, when God uh, sacrificed an animal to make a covering for Adam and Eve to cover their shame and their nakedness, I am the one that was pointing to. Um, on the day of Passover, when Moses comes to free the people from Pharaoh's captivity, and the plagues came one after another after another, and on the tenth plague, the plague of the firstborn, when the angel of death was to fly over that area and take every firstborn from among them, and so God called them to go and sacrifice a pure and spotless lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the door frames of your house. And then when the angel of death would come over Egypt, then he would pass over anyone who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their home. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that. When his cousin, John the Baptist, one day as he's out baptizing people at the Jordan and people from all over the place are coming in to see this crazy guy who is preaching, repent and be baptized. And then John the Baptist looks over and says, behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of all the world. Jesus is saying, I am that one. I am the substitutionary atoning death that will pay for your sin so that you and God can be reconciled in that perfect relationship. I'm not just here to give more laws. I'm not just here to give cool stories. I'm not just here to give you instructions on becoming a better version of you. But you are a wretched, black-hearted sinner, and I have come to clean you up and make that right. 2 Corinthians says it this way, that God made him who was without sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of of God. And so when Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord has appointed me, is upon me, and he has anointed me, that is what he is talking about. He's essentially talking about the gospel. And so he goes on to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. That's what Jesus is going to be about. Good news and gospel are the same word, and the gospel is just this, that, that God, that God actually loves you, and that, and that you know, I kind of, when I was going to church when I was younger, a teenager, it seemed I always heard this same message. God is good. You are bad. Try harder. See you next week. And I would heard, hear messages about how God hates this and God hates liars. I can literally remember being at camp singing a song about God hates liars. And I remember going, uh-oh, uh-oh, are you sure we should be singing this? Because, and that's not good news, is it? To, to find out that you're a sinner is not good news if that's the end of the story. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are a sinner. And God doesn't love some future version of you, but he loves the you enough that he would send his only begotten son to shed his blood on a cross to pay that sin debt that you or I couldn't pay. No matter how good you've been or bad you've been or how good you think you can be, but he is here to proclaim the good news. And it says to the poor. And that means to the poor in spirit, but it also means to the, to the literal poor. You've got to know this, church, 
that God has a special place in his heart for the poor. And you've got to know this too, that you are rich. I know you, didn't, you don't feel rich, but you've got to just trust me on this, church. You are rich. The majority of the world lives on less than $2 a day. If you have a car to drive, you are in the top five richest percentage of the entire world. And in fact, most of us don't just have one car. We even have a house for our car. We call it a garage. And most of us have so much stuff that we had to move our car and make it homeless and take over its house so we could put all our stuff into our car's house. But at least we don't have to scrape ice off our windshield here. Praise God. So, a part of what we are to be about as a church, because Jesus was about it, is to proclaim good news to the poor. And so it's why when you walk around this place, you're going to see compassion walls all over the place. Our expectation, if you're going to be a part of the Church of 1122, that you're going to sponsor compassion kids. Why? Because God sponsored you. That's it. When you were wretched and depraved and you couldn't feed yourself or do anything, that God would reach down and adopt you into his family. And that's the kind of church that we are going to be because that's what Jesus said that he came to do, to proclaim good news to the poor. Then it says, he has sent me. Now, you got to get this, that, that Jesus was sent, that God didn't just love us enough that he prayed for us, and God didn't just love us enough that he sent resources, and God didn't just love us enough to inspire prophets to give us good messages, but God loved us enough that he became a man, and that Jesus is saying that God sent him. So the church of 1122 will be a sending church. So guess what? If you're new with us, i got great news for you. You've got three years to be sent we're going to give you three whole years to get ready, and then you're going to go on a short-term mission trip, and it's going to ruin your life in the best way possible. And I would encourage you, if you're married, you need to go together, because if one of you goes out and gets ruined and comes back, it'll kind of ruin things in not the best way possible. So you're going to want to go together. And not only are we going to send all of us on short-term mission experiences, and, and those are in town. We'll, we'll go to a mission trip all the way across the street to Portside, and we'll do missions experiences all the way to the other end of the earth in Uganda and all over the places in between. But it also means that we are going to be a sending church, that we are going to plant pastors, and we're going to plant churches, and we're going to plant other campuses. And the reason we're going to do this is not because we think we're awesome, but because Jesus says that he was sent and so Jesus says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim liberty to the captives that Jesus came to liberate us from bondage. And the number one thing he is talking about here is being liberated from the bondage of sin. You see, sin or rebellion against God always feels like freedom at first. But I promise you this, I promise you this, it only leads to bondage and death. Every single time. And some of you don't know it right now, but some of you are in bondage. Some of you are in eternal bondage because your sins have never been forgiven because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying you're crooked, depraved, and wretched and need Jesus. Okay? And I know, I know in our society, people are like, how dare you? How dare you insult my beautifully unique face that way how dare you no i'm a rainbow no you're not okay you are not a rainbow or a snowflake or any of those things you and i are not just mistakers in need of a life coach we are sinners and we need a savior 
And, and I'm just telling you, what's going to happen this year is there are literally hundreds of you in this room. And right now, you're sitting in the back, and I don't blame you, and, and you got your, and he ain't talking to me. It ain't me. Just, it ain't me. All right? The almighty sovereign God is going to reach down and grab your hard heart, and he's just going to start massaging it. And you're going to feel this thing, and you're going to like, dang it, he's getting me. Yeah, he's getting you. And you can't resist him. And you know how I know? Because I tried. The day I got saved in Bennettsville, South Carolina, I was at this camp, and I was sitting on this stool, and Coach Bull Lee, my uh, football coach in town, he's presenting the gospel, and I was like, not me. Uh-uh, he ain't getting me. I got stuff I want to do. And I know if I follow him, I can't do some of my plans coming up here in high school. And so I literally wrapped my feet around the stool I was on and sat on my hands. And then in about the 14th verse of Just As I Am, some of you Baptists know what I'm talking about, praise God, I walked on up there and said, I want to be a Christian. And so what happened was God just got me. And some of you, you're in the bondage of sin. And I'm not talking about any particular sin. I'm just talking about and you're just, you're just rebelling against God. And this is the year, this is the year, and maybe this is the Sunday that God is going to set you free from that. And some of you, some of you are in the bondage of addictions, and you've tried to give it up, and you've tried to give it up, and you've been in groups, and you've done all of those things. And I'm just going to tell you that it's by the power of the blood of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ that this is the year that you are going to be set free from those addictions. Some of you are in the bondage of the American dream. It always gets real quiet, quiet when we talk about that. We're like, hold on now, don't be talking about my stuff, all right? And listen, I'm telling you, some of you are just running around in this cul-de-sac of stupidity, and you don't even realize it. You're like, I'm miserable. I know what I need. I need more stuff. And you really believe that more of the things that didn't satisfy are going to bring satisfaction. And that's just the cul-de-sac of stupidity. That you walk into the dressing room to buy new clothes and you take off some clothes and put them in a pile. And you look at those clothes and you'd be like, clothes, y'all are sorry. And then you put on new clothes and you'd be like, nice clothes, these clothes, you are awesome. Man, this, is, this looks good. All right? You don't even really look like that. You know why they stretch those mirrors out in those places to buy their clothes? <laughs> sorry, Lars, I didn't mean to tell y'all a secret. But how many, you know how long it's going to be until these awesome clothes are going to be in a pile and you'll be cussing them? You fat clothes. Can't believe you fat jeans, man. You don't know about these jeans. Boom, you know? And you're in bondage there. Now, I'm not saying don't get clothes. Get you some sweet clothes, but put your trust in them and you'll be disappointed. And some of you are in that kind of, I mean, it's bondage and you don't even know it. Some of you, uh, some of you are in this bondage of guilt and shame. And it's why you quit going to church. Because every time you would go, you would get beat up and you would feel guilty. Well, guess what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says? You're going to hear this about a hundred times before Thanksgiving. Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore now there is no condemnation. Now the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, but your Heavenly Father will never condemn you when you were in Christ. Why? Because if you're in Christ, He's not looking at you anymore. He is looking at the perfect, righteous life of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says is part of what the church is supposed to do is to proclaim liberty to the captives. I mean, one of the things, one of the things that I'm praying for like crazy is that you would walk in freedom. That you would be able to walk in freedom because it's for freedom that Christ set us free. 
And that also means that you would not be, um, you would not be in the bondage of religiosity. That you're not going to get a list here at our church of, uh, here's what good Christians don't do, okay? Good Christians don't drink, and good Christians don't listen to secular music, and great good Christians don't listen, uh, watch rated R movies unless they're about the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ, and that one's okay, and good Christians don't. You're just not going to get that because that kind of religiosity is exhausting, and so many of us have walked in it. And you just try to get your sin and hold it down and hold it down. And it's while you'll use phrases like, I'm not a very good Christian. There is no such thing as a good or bad Christian. It's why here we talk about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Period. If you surrender to someone, you're either, they've either got you or they don't got you. There is no in-between. And when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he's got you, and there's nothing that could ever take you away from him. And listen, I'm talking to you, and the Holy Spirit's nudging you, because some of the things you're walking in right now, it feels like freedom, and I can promise you, it leads to bondage. I used to have two dogs, two boxers, and... uh, We'd try to leave them out in our house sometimes, and then we'd come home, and the place would be a wreck. One time they ate the pillow cushions. It looked like it snowed in the house, you know. It was terrible. So we had to get a crate and put them in the crate when we would leave. And they hated going in the crate. They didn't want to go in the crate. They never wanted to go in the crate. If you said crate, they would tuck their tail and run away. They hated the crate, but you know what they loved? Cheese. They loved cheese. And so you'd be like, get in the crate. And they'd run and hide, and you'd go get the cheese. And they'd be like, oh, cheese. And they'd go crazy over cheese. And you'd take that cheese and kind of high, and you'd throw it in the crate, and they'd freak out. I got some cheese. They'd dive all each other. I'd get the cheese. And you'd just shut the door behind them and lock it. And they're like, cheese, I'm in the crate. <laughs> and you'd walk out of that place going, what a dumb dog. <laughs> and before you'd get to the car, the enemy would go, here's some cheese. And every single one of us go, ah, cheese. And you give up your freedom for a piece of cheese. He said, it's not about cursing the cheese. It's about trusting God that he has called you to walk in freedom and that he has sent me, he sent Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. That what's going to happen in this place is God's going to use us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of his gospel for blind people to be able to see. And there's a lot of you in this room. There's a lot of us in this room. And you are blind. And you don't even know it. Because because you see this world the way this world has told you to see this world. And and, And you have a hard time doing the things God has called us to do. Let me tell you this, church. When we begin to see as God sees, we'll begin to do as God says. It's why we will open up the Word of God. Because this thing is, it's not just a book. It is not just a book, but it is the inspired word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it is going to begin to pierce you. It is going to begin to chisel away things in your world that do not look like what it means to walk like Jesus walked. And it's not about condemnation. It's about freedom. And God's going to begin to make the scales fall off your eyes, and you're going to begin to see this world the way the Creator created it to work. And then you're going to be able to do what the Creator called you to do. You're going to begin to do finances different. 
You're going to begin to do finances different because you're going to begin to see the way God created us to do finances. You're going to be able to see your finances in light of the cross that God so loved the world that he gave. And you're going to, the scales are going to fall off and you're going to begin to think, oh, wait a minute, I should work hard. I should be successful. I should make gobs and gobs of money so that I could be incredibly generous everywhere God has called me to be generous, that God is a giving God. You're going to begin to understand the truth that if you don't have money for something, you shouldn't buy it. That's, not a, that's just what the Bible says, that you are a fool if you do that. You know, there, there's all these things in our world. The Bible says, be not, trans, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, part of the renewal of our mind is that the scales have to fall off our eyes. Um, some of you are going to begin to do marriage the way God has called us to do marriage. Some of you are sitting there with your arms crossed, and you're like, well, once she gets her act together, then maybe. You know how I know that's applicable? It's because of that nervous laughter right there. <laughs> yeah, and then eventually you're going to discover, husbands, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you're going to be like, oh, wait a minute. Did Jesus wait until I got my act together? To love me? No, he went first. Jesus took responsibility for things that weren't his fault. Mm, that's how I'm supposed to love her? That Jesus made us his priority. He stepped down from the throne and glory of heaven to die on a cross for people who did not deserve it. And that's the standard of how you love your wife. And your marriages are going to begin to change because you're going to be able to see your marriage the way God sees your marriage. Your friendships are going to change. Your friendships are going to begin to change. Because right now, you look at the people that you call friends, and I'm talking about Facebook clicks. I'm talking about actual people that you can touch and see and drink coffee with and have real conversations about. And they're going to change, and you're going to move from, she gets on my nerves, and you're going to begin to see it the way God told us to see it, bear one, another bur one another's burdens. And our friendships are going to begin to change because we'll be able to see, and the way you do time will begin to change because you're going to see that God says, look, I'm the maker of time. And you can't make time for anything. I've given everybody 24 hours in a day to get exactly, for you to do exactly what I have called you to get done. And you're going to begin to work, 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 and then play and rest and begin to live in that rhythm with God. One of my favorite seminary professors told me this. When I graduated from seminary, I was going on to work at my first church. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. The devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And what's going to begin to happen in this place is the blind are going to be able to see that God is the ruler over your time. Some of you, many of you, are going to begin to see what God's calling in your life is. Now, he may or may not change your career, but he's going to call you to be like a city on a hill, that he has placed you wherever he has placed you. Whether it's the president and CEO of a company, or whether it's to step out of that world and go into missions, or whether it's to just, or, or whether it's to raise the children in your home, or whatever it is, you're going to quit just trying to please other people and please uh, the expectations that they have placed on you and begin to walk in faithfulness the race that Jesus has marked out for you. And the reason that's going to happen is because Jesus said when he showed up, that blind people would see. And so he says he's going to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. One of the things that Jesus was about and that this church is going to be about is to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
One of the most oppressive things in our society right now um, is, the, is this cycle of poverty in the United States predicated upon undereducated students that don't really have a shot. That they don't get the same shot that other people do. And so this church is partnering together with the McKinsey Academic Resource Center to try to help release the oppressed. It also means that there's some of you in this place and you have been depressed. I mean, you just wake up every day and go, not another day. And that is not how God created you to live. Some of you are so anxious. And the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in prayer and supplication, make all your requests known to him. And listen to this. And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Some of you, you people pleasers, man, that is an oppressive way to live. That you are going to be set free to live, to please God and God alone, and not always just trying to impress those people in your life. Some of you have been oppressed by your church experience. And, And you've been out of church for a long time. And if I had your experience, I probably would have taken a vacation from church too. And you've been beat up and beat up and beat up, and it is oppressive. It is oppressive. And what we want to do, because Jesus said this is what he was about doing, we want to be a place that sets, that sets you at liberty or freedom for those who are oppressed. Listen to these words that Jesus says. He says it in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Now, real quick, now don't raise your hand, but just, is that you? I mean, as you think about tomorrow when you've got to get up and go to work and get the kids to school or go to school or whatever it is that you're doing tomorrow, you think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm tired. I mean, I am weary and heavy laden. I feel like I've got the pressures of the world on my shoulder. And, and in fact, the last thing I would want to do is go to a church that's just going to put more pressure on me. Hey, here's four more things to do so God will like you better. Or here's three more opportunities, you know, that you've got to participate in. Or you're not a good Christian. Like, I don't have time for that. Are you weary? And then Jesus says, so come to me. Every one of you, weary and heavy laden or burdened. And I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds like I want some. Rest for my soul. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give as the world gives, because that's temporary. But an eternal peace. Hey, if that's what you're looking for, then you're in the right place. Because that's what we are about. We are about helping to introduce you to this heavenly father that loves you and wants to give you rest for your soul. And so Jesus says, we are here to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he closes with this in verse 19. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now listen to me, especially if you grew up in church for a long time. I don't know if you've clued in to this or not. But God really loves you. I mean, he really loves you. And even beyond that, he kind of likes you too. Like he really does. God favors you. This is the year of the Lord's favor. That he's not here to just get you. 
You know, he's not like a mall cop waiting for you to do something wrong so he could come and slap you on the wrist. He's not a lifeguard at a neighborhood pool. Boy, that's some authority, isn't it? Just waiting to blow the whistle and say, stop running. He's not, he's not there to wait until you and your kids are splashing up and having fun. We don't do that. The Homeowners, Homeowners Association has voted there's no fun in the pool. That is not her God. That God delights in you. That God loves you. Listen, even amongst all of this craziness, yesterday I was coaching t-ball. You know why? Because I love JP. Joseph Perry Martin IV. Junior sitting right over there. And guess what? He coached every baseball game I was in, right? Why? Because he just loved me. He wanted to spend time with me. That's why 189 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls God Heavenly Father. And so as I was out there, and, and JP was playing infield, and this kid rips one to him. Bang! And that thing's coming quick. And you know, I can see Mom going, <laughs> and the little man shuffles over there and gets that glove down and scoops it up and chunks that ball to first base. And I thought, uh-oh, baby, we might play for the Braves one day, all right? <laughs> And I'm the only one on the field that thought that, but I don't care. I delight in that little boy. Why? Because he's my little boy. He bears my name. That is my son. I delight in him. I don't look for opportunities to get him in trouble. Now, I discipline him because I love him. And let me tell you what that means if you're under 30. That means I spank him, okay? <laughs> See, because some of you under 30, y'all get time out. Y'all just stand I'm going to think about it. Yeah, all right. Only timeout we had at the house. My daddy would have to take timeout from wearing us out so he didn't have a heart attack, all right? <laughs> but that's what your problem is. Some of you, that's what your problem is. All right? Amen? Amen, I know. And again, some of you are like, oh, we don't spank Timmy. We know. Okay, so. <laughs> we know. <laughs> and I got a little girl, too. Reagan Capri, sweetest human who has ever lived, okay? And I know she hasn't trusted Jesus yet, so she's still a wretched, black-hearted sinner, but I'm telling you, she's a cute, sweet one. God's common grace has given her this, this tenderness in her heart, and she'll just say, Daddy, I want to hold you. And I put down whatever I got and pick her up. And uh, her birthday is, is next month, but since we got all the family in town, we celebrated a little bit yesterday, and uh, she got her some princess stuff. Just put a little princess thing on or put a little crown on or a little wand thing and just twirls in front of me. And you know what I don't do? I don't say, uh, you're not holding the wand right. No, no, no. I've seen Snow White. I've seen all the Disney deals. You've got to get a better grip. Never. No, no, no. What do you do? You just delight in her. You delight in her. If my daughter thought that every time she was around me, she was going to get corrected, what do you think she would do? How do you think she would respond? She would run from me and not to me. Some of you believe that's who God is. Some of you think that all God wants to do is just show you where you are wrong. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That God delights in you. I've used this illustration before, but it's the best one I can think of. If you've got kids, remember when they first started to walk? Remember? Um, both of our kids kind of skipped the crawl. You know, they would kind of do the little army thing and then the little sit up and then go back deal. And then they cruise, is that's what it's called, when they climb up on something. And then they kind of test things out, and they're like, ah, woo, made it. 
And you're just cheering them on and cheering them on. And then at some point in their lives, you know, like from nine months to a year, a little, little after a year, and, and then they finally, they let go of that thing, and they see something they want, and that big head, because they're, they're not shaped right, it's part of the sovereignty of God to help them walk, that big head that's like 54% of their body weight leans forward, and it's nose plant or live, take a step. And you, you experience that, and they get two or three steps, and then they fall. And parents, what do you do in that moment? Nobody's like, what, that was three steps? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Quit crying. Get up off the ground. That's some nicely, bud. All right, my kid would run. All right, no. What do you do? You go crazy. You celebrate the kid. They took a step. They do it again. Come here, and you cheer, and you tweet it. They took a step. And the grandparents are calling, put it on Facebook. You're like, I'm trying. And the world, your world goes crazy. Why? Because the kid took a step. Now, if it's another kid, if it's another kid, if you were there when another, somebody else's kid takes a step, you're like, yeah, mine started walking a month before yours. You don't care about their kid taking a step. Or maybe that's just me. But when it's your kid, you're going crazy because they took a step. And you know they're going to fall, and you know they're going to fall more and more and more and more. But that's okay, they're walking. And I believe when Jesus was talking about this, as he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, he's saying, listen, you have a heavenly father that loves you, that favors you, that delights in you. And when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you don't just start off running. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus that, that you've got to be born again. And that means you're a baby Christian. And I believe that that the first time you really worship the Lord, that heaven's like, he took a step. And the first time you crack your Bible on your own, he took a step. And the first time you show up to church two weeks in a row, God's not going, where are you going to be next week? I know where you're going to be, okay? No! That heaven is applauding. Why? Because you took a step. And we serve a good God that loves you. And Jesus says that he is here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen, as disciples of Jesus, we are to do what Jesus said and proclaim what Jesus did. That's why we want to be about what Luke 4 says Jesus was about. Because we, we, want, to, we want to do what Jesus says do. To love our neighbors. To trust him with everything that we have. To grow in our relationship with him. And we want to proclaim what Jesus did. And what Jesus did is he went to the cross to die for me and to die for you. It's why at our church, when you pull into the parking lot, the first thing you're pointing to is the cross. Because that's what this church is about. We want to point people to the cross. And when you walk in the front doors and look over the Welcome Center, the sign has a big old cross. Why? Because we want to point people to the cross. And when you walk into this worship center, the biggest thing on stage is not me. But it is the cross, because we want to point people to the cross. That's what we're about. And when Jesus rolls up the scroll, and then he says, these things that you have heard, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, I am these things. Jesus is saying, I'm about to get to work on my public earthly ministry. And then he's going to go and die on the cross, be resurrected, and unleash the church. That's us. Unleash us to be about what he was about. And then uh, in verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words 
that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, when they first heard this, they got stoked. The people sitting there like, this is going to be awesome. Blind people are going to see, and lame people are going to walk, and people are going to get out of jail. I mean, this is going to be sweet. And you know why? You know why they thought it was going to be sweet? Because they thought it was all about them. They thought it was all about them. And so then Jesus, he shares these two stories. One's from 1 Kings chapter 7, and one's from 2 Kings, or excuse me, one's from 1 Kings chapter 17, and the other is from 2 Kings chapter 7. And it's about two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And I won't read through it. I'll just tell you this real quick. These were two men of God, prophets of God. And in both of the stories that he tells, what was going on is there was a time of great need, but the prophets did not go to the nation of Israel to bring relief, but they went outside the nation of Israel to bring relief. And when Jesus told the people that, they got ticked off. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, hey, all these things that I'm just saying, it's not for you and you alone. I didn't just come here for the church people. I didn't come here just for the religious. I didn't come here to, to the people that think everything in their world is going okay. But he was going to cross um, ethnic lines. He was going to cross socioeconomic lines. He was going to cross political lines. That, that Jesus was there for all people, all kinds of people, all colors of people, all people of all kinds of religious backgrounds. That Jesus had come for all people. And then the Bible says... In verse 20, let's see, in verse 28. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of town. And they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. So that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Kind of reminds me, like, you ever watch Bugs Bunny, right? We watch a lot of that now with my kids. And, and, and so Bugs and Elmer Foote are fighting and there's that big ball of dust and then, and then Bugs leaves and Elmer's still fighting amongst himself. That's kind of like what's going on in the first century. Jesus, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. The people get stoked because they were selfish. They thought, this is all about me. This is all about me. I know some blind people I want to see. All right? I know some lame people I want to walk. And they tried to hijack the mission of Jesus and make it about themselves. And let me just give you a warning, church. If you try to make what Jesus is doing here among us about you, if your first concern is what you get out of our sweet children's ministry or where your parking spot is or you're already trying to scope out your row that you're going to get to sit in every time, if you think that, that the movement of Jesus is all about you and not about Jesus, two things are going to happen to our church. One is you're going to be full of anger and wrath. You're going to be severely disappointed. And I already know that many of you have got a list of things of ways that we could improve this facility. And I look forward to reading those after Thanksgiving, if you would just hold on to them till then. But seriously, you try to hijack the mission of Jesus and make it about you, you will be severely disappointed. Because what Jesus said to his disciples, when he called those first disciples, he said, follow me, and then he was on the move, baby. And this thing is going to be on the move. And then the second thing is it says that Jesus left their midst. Would that not be the greatest tragedy in all eternity? That we do all this in the name of Jesus and yet try to make it about us and Jesus leaves our midst? So if we want, if we want that deep peace and joy... And if we want Jesus right here with us in our midst every time we gather as a church and every time we move out as a church, then we have to be about what Jesus was about. 
And if you know him, if you've put your faith in Christ, then what he has called you to do, he's not leaving you behind. He's saying, no, you've got to get on the team. And now you need to be about what I am about. And that's reaching out to those people that are furthest from God. And that's what this church is going to be all about. That the church of 1122 is a place for all people. All kind of people. All colored people. All age people. A place for all people to do two things. To discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know we have a lot of guests here. And so, um, the way I wanted to close the very first sermon here is by giving you an invitation to discover that relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe a different kind of church than this, and maybe you thought, well, I can't be a Christian because I'm not good enough. And you're right. Or maybe you think, well, um, I couldn't have a relationship with the Lord because I've been too bad. You couldn't be further from the truth. It's why Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood to pay for your sin so that you could come to him just as you are. That you could know that God does not love some future version of you, but for the you right now, the you right now with all your problems and sins and hang-ups and questions and doubt, I understand that you could surrender, surrender your life to, a, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity. If you would, please bow your head right where you are. So if you were here this morning and you believe that the Holy Spirit is just knocking on the door of your heart, He is calling you to give up on trying to be good enough, and to give up on the guilt of the things in your past, and you are ready today to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ for the very first time, to not just believe that He exists, to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, not by anything that you've done, but by what Jesus did on the cross. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Will you say, Father in heaven, here I am. I surrender to you. Keep those hands up. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for the men and women in this place this morning that would surrender their life to you. And God, I pray that they would be connected in our church in this movement, in this God-sized, gospel-centered movement. And that, God, we would be a church that would help the people with their hands up right now, surrendering their life to Christ right in this minute, God, that we would help them walk in you, walk with you. God, may we be a church that does the things that you called us to do. God, may blind people receive their sight. God, may the gospel be proclaimed to the poor. God, may this place be described as a place of freedom and liberty to the captives and those oppressed. And God, may everything that happens in this place, God, may it all be a love song to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.